0: Benjamin Franklin once famously observed, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Well, working as I do for Plugged In, I might add one more thing. Horror movies in October. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host for The Plugged In Show. Focus on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, the coronavirus has pushed back a few like Halloween kills. Looks like Michael Myers will have to wait another year to put that <laughs> freaky mask on again. But Netflix is spending October airing horror movies from all over the world, including Fright Fest from Russia, France, Spain, Great Britain, Germany, and Poland. Oh, my. <laughs> Not to be outdone, the horror production company Bloomhouse is dropping four flicks on Amazon this month. Black Box, The Lie, Nocturne, and Evil Eye, several of which you'll find detailed reviews of at PluggedIn.com. Yeah, it turns out not even a global pandemic is enough to scare this genre off, which begs a simple but interesting question. Why do people like horror movies? Year after year, they remain one of Hollywood's predictably consistent moneymakers. Whether we're talking slashers or psychological thrillers, supernatural tales or famously scary reboots from the past. And I'm looking at you, Michael Myers on that one. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Joining me for our conversation are Jonathan McKee,
1: Emily Clark,
0: and Paul AT. Well, I think this will be a fun question to kick off our conversation. What was the first horror movie you ever saw? And how did it affect you? Ooh, great question. Ooh. All right. Thank so, you for the affirmation and the question.
2: I'm I'm going to go right <laughs> off script right at the very top I and know. say I know, shocker. Yeah, because the first horror movie I saw, I, I was I was on a date and it wasn't that I was more concerned with the date. Was the date the more horrific than the movie? <laughs> we won't we won't get into that. We won't get into that. But that's I, another
0: podcast for another <laughs> that's time. That's
2: exactly right. But I do remember when I was about 5 or 6 years old, my uh, parents gave my grandma uh, recording a recording, an actual album of old shadow programs, the the old radio dramas, which mm-hmm. were super oh, okay. super creepy. Like the shadow
0: knows exactly. Only
2: the shadow knows. Right. So we listened to that, and I was I was sitting around listening to it. And in one of the programs, had this mirror. Some person bought a mirror that could show the person who was about to die next. Like if you looked in the mirror, you would see the person who was about to die next. Kind of freaky. That night, when we were staying over at my grandma's, I had this bedroom all to myself, and there was a mirror right at the (laughs) foot of the bed. And above the bed, there was a picture of my grandma's grandma, one of those sepia tone photos that had the eyes that sort of move with you. Did it go full Harry Potter and start talking to you? It freaked me out. And this is. Honest to goodness, the truth, I did not sleep in a bedroom with a mirror in it until I was in college. And I cannot physically take the mirror off the wall.
0: I love that story. I mean, I'm sorry for your trauma, but it's a great story. And I think it uh, it sets us up for a terrific conversation today. I can't <laughs> wait to see where things go from here. Oh,
3: wait, wait, but I mean, come on! Aren't you guys dying to know what film did you see on this date, Paul? I want to know what that is. You can't let that slide.
2: Something wicked this way comes. Oh. I uh, it was a, it was a pretty good movie, but I I was a little more concerned with the date. Right. So, yeah. And we'll just okay. leave it at that. Okay.
0: <clears throat> okay.
3: Fair yeah. enough. True. Okay. Okay. Well, I will go. I, I I wasn't allowed to watch scary movies as a kid. Um, but my parents, um, went out and saw the movie Jaws and it scared them to death. And I remember them coming home and I was five at the time. And I was just so intrigued by this. It was a couple years later that it came on TV and you guys remember how, I mean, you know, back in the day, how, you know, you just have to wait for it to come on, you know, on the network TV, you know, with commercials and everything. And so we tuned our rabbit ears in perfectly and, uh, and sure enough. Jaws on TV, TV version of Jaws, my parents are like, sure, you can watch this. I don't know if they didn't want me to ever swim again or what their, what their motives were, (laughs) but (laughs) it scared me so much that I could not sleep. And my, my mom had to literally come, my mom and dad took shifts coming in and sleeping like in the bedroom with me. I, I could swear. I I saw a fin coming through the carpet in your bedroom in in my, in your carpet. Yeah, yeah, yeah! Literally, I I just I was I was terrified. They came out of the mirror, Paul. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's 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 a lot more unrealistic than eyes following you around out of a or seeing Graham on a mirror or whatever. But but uh, but no, no, it was it just was terrifying. I mean, because the suspense and it's funny because still to this day. It's probably one of my favorite films. I mean, I can I can recite the Quint speech. Don't get me started. But yeah, I, I love no, it. We won't. It's just, we won't. But we don't have uh, that kind of time. Yeah. No, it was But it, it is a great speech. Oh. Scared me to death. Emily?
1: Yeah. Um well clearly the Clark parents were better than your guys' parents. <laughs> 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 Sorry, mine I, are
0: gonna get the worst just, parents awards.
1: I just. Um so I don't know if it's because I had older sisters and was somehow protected from the realm of horror movies until I was a little bit older. Um, Somehow I knew that I didn't like horror movies, though, and I wouldn't watch them. And when I was 14, yeah, when I was 14, I finally decided that I was going to watch The Ring which Ooh, is a PG thirteen uh, horror movie. Oh, oh yeah,
0: Goodness. Man, but it was that's one a of my. Scary movie. It was one of my older
1: sister's favorite movies because she oh, loves yeah. horror movies, unlike Terrifying. me. and this is how I. Wa- Let me tell you how I watched it. It's, I would watch about ten to fifteen minutes, turn it off, and start watching a funny TV show, a sitcom. And I'd watch two or three episodes of that. And then I'd go back and watch the next 10 to 15 minutes.
0: And then, like, go check the bathtub just to make sure there's nothing crawling out of it.
1: It legit took me about three days to finally get through that movie. And because, you know, I still had to, like, go to school and eat and do everything else in between. I mean, it just took forever. But it worked because I did not have nightmares. And, well... I say I didn't have nightmares. I don't think I had nightmares. I was still a little freaked out. Yes, I, you know, checking the bathroom. Do we need checking... to
0: ask your sister if you went and crawled into bed with her? And... Oh, I
1: definitely didn't. No, yeah, okay. no, no. But uh, but yeah, that's, that's, and that's how I actually continued to watch horror movies through college. It wasn't until after college that I finally was like, you know what? I'm going to like sit down and actually watch a scary movie without being a big baby about it. So yeah, <laughs>
3: all right. It was not really the ring. That was a scary movie. Yeah,
2: that's a that's a terrifying oh, that's a introduction scary to scary and, and a, movies. And yeah. a great
3: and a great mystery too. Kind of almost like an Alfred Hitchcock kind of way. I mean, it was it was. I mean, it's based off of Ringu, and Ringu is actually I think even scarier. But it's because it's in Japanese and you can't understand it. (laughs) (laughs) Japanese (laughs) horror
1: films are not a joke. I've seen one and I was terrified.
0: Yeah. We might circle back to this Japanese horror films conversation later, but (laughs) I actually want to share my one and a half answers. So my first answer is my father. God bless my father, dad. I'm sorry. I'm, I got to throw you under the bus right here. I think it was 1976 or 77. My dad and I had a dad and son day out and he took me to see Spawn of the Slythus.
1: <laughs> of the what?
0: The Slythus, exactly. Oh, Starring Charlton Heston. Right, Spawn <laughs> of the Slythus. And it it was as bad as it sounds. I mean it's like Black Lagoon exploitation movie, right? It basically was creature from the Black Lagoon only way nastier and I still have images in my head that are never coming out um, from that one but like you and like Jonathan I have to share mine when I was I think five or six there was this movie called Bigfoot the Mysterious Monster that Uh, It was a documentary. And if you could see me right now, you would see me putting air quotes around documentary (laughs) about people's experiences of Bigfoot. And it had one of those famous old guys from the 70s narrating it. Peter somebody, I think. Anyway, um, there's a scene in the commercial, the trailer of this couple sitting on a couch and these two hairy arms come through the picture window behind them and grab them. And I saw the commercial maybe two or three times as a five year old, and it straight up wrecked me. I mean, Aww. same thing as the mirror and, and what you were talking about, Jonathan. So I slept on the floor next to my parents' <laughs>
1: bed. Oh. <Aww. laughs>
0: Wait for it for the next six years. What? Until I was 11.
1: And oh my
3: to this goodness. day, much
0: like you, that explains a lot. Of- I don't like, yeah, exactly. Thank you, Jonathan, <laughs> for that commentary. <laughs> I don't like sitting on a couch with a window behind me. And my coworkers will let you know that I, I still have this sort of love-hate relationship with all things Bigfoot because of that story. And I think, like- even though this is just the, the icebreaker to get us started, I think it illustrates that these ideas and these images, especially with little minds. They go in and we don't know how to process them and Mm -hmm. they really affect us. And so I will throw that cautionary plugged in note out as we dive into a discussion of horror movies that I think uh, it's already been interesting and I think it's only going to get interestinger from here. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, horror movies can seem like a a genre that just won't die. Uh, And I've actually done a little bit of research this week. It's also a genre that's been with us practically since the birth of movies themselves. French filmmaker Georges Millier gets credit for making their first horror movie, a two-and-a-half-minute 1896 short known as The House of the Devil. That sounds reasonably horror movie-ish, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and storytellers have been cranking them out predictably ever since. Now, certain audiences have stereotypically been among the genre's most reliable audience members, like teen boys, for instance. I remember staying up late when I was growing up. We would go to the video store and and we would like look for the title of Me the too. of the craziest mm-hmm. horror movies we could find. Unfortunately, they didn't have Spawn of the Slithis, but you know it's probably still out there somewhere. Uh, and I'm I certainly wasn't the exception, but the rule in that. Uh, But scary movies, even if we're tempted to simply dismiss this genre, appeal to more than just adolescent boys. And in times of social unrest and fear about the future, it's kind of paradoxical, but horror movies often skyrocket in popularity as viewers seek to temporarily replace a scary real world with a spooky cinematic one. So today we're going to talk a bit about this phenomenon and we're going to talk about, you know, whether or not it's more than just blood and guts and cheap jump scenes and whether there might actually be more going on in this creepy genre than we might realize. So let's go back to that first question that I asked. Why do you think people like to be scared in horror movies? What's the draw in being terrified?
1: Makes you feel alive.
0: Okay. Say more about that.
1: (laughs) Um, Even
0: if it takes three days to feel a lot, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I think what it is, it, it's kind of like when you go to an amusement park and you get on the biggest, fastest ride. You get that adrenaline yeah, rush. Yeah. and You're just like, you're hanging on by like, you know, these really shoddy made constructions. <laughs> like, you, you're a bolt away from death. <laughs> if we're being really honest. That's
2: true. That's true. <laughs>
1: you are a loose screw away from death. But, um... But no, I think that when you watch a horror movie, it does. It gets your adrenaline going. It gets your heart beating. And I think people feel alive when they watch it. I don't. I feel like... You feel dead? Yeah. I feel like my heart is not supposed to be beating that fast unless yes. I'm running for my life. But yeah.
3: Oh, I I totally agree. And that's hilarious. I love that. A bolt away from death. That is awesome. (laughs) You got to love carnies. But um, the, uh, you know, I felt the same way, like when I was a kid and my dad would always tell these scary stories around the campfire. And every year he would tell this one story called Thump slush. And it was the sound of, they oh, heard like it already. Thump, thump, That explains a lot about you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he would make these sounds. He's all thump, slush, of something like outside, it was thumping around and stuff. And we'd be like, tell thump, slush again, tell thump, you know, because for some reason, <laughs> it was like It was so fun to hear these. So I don't even know what it is about, us, but people, I think they like to maybe huddle together shivering and then scream and whether it's fear or delight, I don't even know. But yeah, people love to be scared.
2: I also think it in sort of empowers you in a curious sort of way. You know, as, as you were mentioning at the top of, of this thing that we're doing, um, I think that that we live in a really scary world as it is. Hmm. And when you feel like you're out of control, you don't have much control over the real world and, and it's many, many scary issues, when you see something on screen that is frightening, but you see someone overcome it somehow, that gives you a feeling of empowerment. And and because so many horror movies are sort of metaphorical, they deal with real world problems in sort of a an askew sort of way. Um, I think it can give you sort of a sense that that you can process some of those things that you're scared of too, and you can survive
3: them, and, come and out you the can other survive side. them exactly. Well, that overcoming, Paul, I think you really hit on something there because I know for me, one of the reasons I've actually really enjoyed the zombie genre, which is honestly a lot of really stupid films, but there's something, <laughs> but, but there's something about you know survival, and I think one of the reasons The Walking Dead became so popular wasn't necessarily because of like gore or whatever, which a lot of people would attribute to the, you know, to the series. I think it's because a lot of people are thinking, what would I do in that situation? And I think right. that's sometimes shows like that or movies like this can, you know, be really fun to watch as a family and kind of go, what would you do in that situation? I think you could really engage in some very good, meaningful conversation.
1: I'm going to bounce off of that because, Jonathan, my family has actually it, it basically envisioned that exact scenario where it's like, okay, so zombie apocalypse, who's doing what? Dad can fly helicopters, mom's a nurse, <laughs> sister's a midwife, other sister's a nurse, Emily. Oh, man, you're set. Uh, Emily, you don't have any skills. We're going to, you know. You're a your movies, Emily. Is that, is that going to be useful in a zombie apocalypse? You can be the
0: narrator. <laughs>
1: There we go that's what I'll tell the next time. I'm going to be the documentarian in that scenario <laughs> I'm going to make sure that our story lives on no but um I think it's interesting that you guys talk about overcoming things in these types of movies because when I watch these movies, I'm generally like yes, a character typically does survive to the end, but typically that's only after everybody else has died so for me i'm sitting there and i'm like everybody could have lived if you guys wouldn't have split up who splits up don't go into that basement that's dumb don't do not
0: go in there
1: yes do not go in there so for me i'm just kind of like you know we y'all could have overcome if you had just you know been a little smarter
2: (laughs) You actually hit on something that I think is another attraction for the horror movies, the <laughs> don't go in there <laughs> phenomenon. And, and I think that, that that's one of the things about horror movies that, that is oddly um, heartening that it's a communal experience you know I think that that when you watch horror movies with other people there's this sense of unified what is this person doing um they they can be some of the more delightful screenings that I actually go to because delightful you, you have you have these people saying oh no he's not going to do that you just hear these these rumblings throughout the theater and so it sort of he's makes you feel
0: stupid.
1: <laughs>
2: it's, but it's, he a, is. it's a much different experience when you're watching by yourself
0: right it's scarier it is because you don't have the uh the encouragement of others of of community we might say well paul you touched on this next question a little bit but i want to flesh it out a little Uh, bit uh, more uh, uh, (laughs) Oh, oh gosh what have sociologists and and people other ologists who study this sort of thing what have they said about the correlation between the popularity of horror going up During tough times, because that's Hmm. been something that we've seen for decades and and people have studied that and thought about it. So let's talk about that for just a minute. How are those two things connected?
2: It's a fascinating uh, correlation. I think, because you really do see that throughout history. You, you, all the all the huge universal movie monsters, Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy, they came out during the Great Depression. The first yeah. wave of great horror movies came out uh, in Germany right after World War I. You have these these horror movie staples that come in times of crisis. And again, I think it comes back to the idea, and I think sociologists would, would back me up on this, the idea that when the real world is so so scary and so unmanageable the movies that we see can help sort of distill some of that fear down to a screen yeah and in so doing makes it a little more manageable and i think that there's a certain form of escape i mean Hmm. it's interesting because when you think about the, the the universal movie monsters there's an escapism there when you look at some of the movies from the 1950s Godzilla was talking about atomic warfare. Invasion of the Body Snatchers was talking about conformity. Right. You have all these alien... and communism too, and, right? And, and communism, mm-hmm. and you have you have these these alien invasion movies that reflect that sort of red, that red menace fear, if you will. So they allow us to process some of those emotions as well.
3: Hmm it's funny how a lot of these films sometimes will actually even have, I talked about how Jaws had that, the Quint speech. It's the one moment in the film where everybody's sitting around and there's this, this engaging conversation where, you know, they're hearing him, you know, share this story and they're getting down to the deep essence of who he is and who he's become. Um, in one of my favorite scary movies, Signs, which is an M. Night Shyamalan film, uh, He and I I know I probably didn't say his last name right, but that's how I always say it. And I love him as a director. Um, Signs, of course, you know, you know, Mel Gibson, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, one of the Colkin kids. I think it's Rory. Um, Man, it was such a well done film. Very. It felt like a Hitchcock film. And and it's funny because it's this film about crop circles, about these aliens coming down. And in, in a way, some people, I think, would almost dismiss it as as bizarre or even corny.
2: A <laughs> little pun there. But, oh. but, but let
3: me tell you, there is a scene where Mel Gibson, and it, the, the backstory is amazing. Mel Gibson this, is a pastor who's lost his faith because his wife was killed. And his brother, Joaquin Phoenix, is living with him, helping raise the kids. And... Um, they sit down on the couch and they have this moment where they're talking about, is there anything else out there? And they really talk about the theory of basically, is God there? And it was one of the best conversations on film. I mean, it was just this great conversation. And it's one of those ones that, I mean, I've even used in youth ministry circles. I will show that scene and then I'll ask, so is there something else out there? And it always stimulates good discussion. And I think a lot of films do that. They they have moments like that that really make you think because when you're in crisis, sometimes you do ask those big questions in life.
2: Yeah, and I think that's absolutely right, Jonathan. One of the things that, that draws me, if you will, to, to this genre in some ways is that it allows you to tack, tackle huge problems, uh, good and evil, right yeah, and wrong, yeah. uh, what you do in a crisis. And I think a lot of them have this spiritual nugget, like signs, like you were pointing out, um, that, that can be strangely, in, in sort of this dark genre that we're talking about, can be strangely encouraging. Now, Paul,
0: you've seen a couple of those movies in the last few years. Are there any that stand out? Not necessarily as Plugged In said, this is an awesome movie to go see with your family, Mm -hmm. but movies that have had that kind of spiritual nugget in them that you've maybe even been surprised at how strongly – it resonated with you.
2: You know, the movie that pops into to my mind would probably be The Conjuring. Yeah. Which is a terrifying movie. It's rated R primarily just because it's so scary. Stuff right? gets conjured. <laughs> Stuff gets conjured. And it and it's a very supernatural. It's an obsession movie where this family is being attacked by by these supernatural forces, these very evil forces. And that's that's super problematic, of course, for a lot of people. Especially the people in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the people in the movie. But when you watch the movie, there's this sense of, um, I, I, I actually talked with the, uh, the the screenwriter for the movie, and he was talking about when when he processes these movies as he's writing these scary screenplays, he thinks if there is something evil out there, then there's got to be a sense of good, and you see that good coming throughout this movie where these demonic entities are being battled by something much brighter and much stronger. And I think that that's, that's a powerful message for us.
0: Well, and in the old school movies that deal with like demonic stuff and possession, there's almost always a priest or a vaguely Christian-y character who is sort of the bulwark
3: standing against that evil. Right. Well, and, and some of that is like you got a great writer like Stephen King who definitely I mean, I don't know what happened if he got beat by a Sunday school teacher when he was a child or what, but but I mean, he has something against, you know, Christians for sure. Cause I mean, every, think of most of his major films, there's always, if there's ever a Christian, they're this weird, fanatical, hypocritical, the, almost the bad guy, you know? So, so there's that out there, but I think there's some good writers and directors out there like Scott Derrickson, the guy who did you know, oh my gosh, he's, you know, from exorcism of Emily Rose to he actually did the Dr. Strange film. So, but I mean, but he, he started with a lot of kind of horror and scary movies. I I had the privilege of interviewing him. And when I asked him a question about like, okay, why horror movies? A lot of, a lot of believers. I mean, this guy's a Biola grad, good believer, um, writes really good stuff. He probably
0: skipped chapel. Don't you think (laughs) he,
3: he, he might have to watch jaws, but the thing is he, uh, it was interesting. I asked him and he said, you know, the thing I like about horror movies, he says, is it really uh, in most of them contrasts good and evil. And he said, quote, he goes, you know, I think we need to identify evil accurately both evil and the repercussions and consequences of evil behavior and he went on hmm. to compare that to like a tarantino film where like wait the bad guys are the good guys and is it really bad i mean the 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 whole subject of this film is get revenge on as many people as possible and so is is you know killing bill a good thing you know and there's confusion out there in a lot of films and he says i like kind of the contrast in horror films of that's bad you know, and we need to conquer bad out there. And I think that sometimes that can be a good conversation starter. And, you know, I read an interview that he did years ago. I'll bet it
0: was almost 20 years ago. And he talked about um, after he did one of the Hellraiser movies, which again, you would think, what would a Christian be doing involved with one of those movies? You know, these demons with one guy has pins in his head and it kind of just goes downhill from there. Um, But he, he said something similar. And he also said that That horror is one of the only genres, not only where you can deal with good and evil, but that takes good and evil seriously as reality. He's just said there's so much, you know, moral grayness and and other things similar to what he said about Tarantino movies, but but that there was still space to examine that reality in a meaningful way and maybe prompt audiences to think about the consequences and goodness the consequences of good versus evil in these sorts of stories.
2: Yeah. One of the really interesting things about this genre, and and, and as we talk about this, I, I want to make sure that, that that our listeners are not thinking that we're excusing horror movies because right. they're really, they can be very, 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 very problematic. And yet when I talk anecdotally to talk about what, what you were just saying, Adam, um, there. I am amazed at how many believers, how many Christians really considered or reconsidered their faith after seeing one of these horror mm. movies. You see people who, mm. who have seen The Exorcist, which is a terrible movie. If we reviewed it for Plugged In, we would be giving it a really big thumbs down. And yet, when people have watched it, some people have watched it, it, uh, it, it has moved them and it has made them see something about the reality of faith and the beauty of faith.
3: Well, and that's where uh, a movie like uh, Scott Derrickson's *The Exorcism of Emily Rose*, which is this very scary film that you think, oh, this is about an exorcism, it it's really terrifying. W- it it is it is one of the scariest films I've ever saw. I saw it to review it for. I saw it in the theater. Um, I tell you, that film is a courtroom movie where they basically are deciding whether or not this exorcism took place, and so they end up deciding, well, does the devil exist? Well, does God exist? And in a court, they start basically trying to answer that question Does God exist? And I just thought that was how great to take a movie that where a lot of people are asking questions anyway, they're kind of scared, they're tense, they're asking these big questions and you start asking the biggest question, does God exist? And what's that have to do with me? I love it when films do that. So, and Paul, it's interesting, as you said, you know, I know, you know, we don't want to like necessarily put the stamp of approval on horror films. Um, I think it's funny because I think horror films sometimes get this, um, this stigma, because you almost think of like, you know, a bunch of sorority girls running from a guy with a knife or whatever. And that's what you think of sometimes with horror films. I think there's some really good, I, I even like to use the term scary films, because um like when you think of some of the Hitchcock films out there, or you think of films like Signs, like I mentioned, or I'd you, Ghost in the Darkness, the true story about the two lions. That, I mean, mm. there's films like that. That I think are phenomenal, and I would have no problem watching with my kids whatsoever. Really good films. Uh, I am Legend with Will, with, uh, Will Smith. Uh, even probably the Sixth Sense, although that might get to a little bit of wait. The guy's dead, but he's alive. Um, the wait. Did I just give a spoiler? Uh, the uh, you know. I mean, these are good. Thank these you, are, Jonathan. Yes, exactly. But these are films I would, without hesitation, watch with my family.
1: Yeah, I think that. When I watch horror movies like that, what I'm really thinking is, because in case you couldn't tell, I hate horror movies. I do not <laughs> willingly watch them. I usually watch them because somebody else is making me watch them. And as an adult, I'm still, I won't watch a horror movie by myself. I have had to watch a couple of horror movies by myself for Plugged In, which is an experience because <laughs> I've literally been sitting in the theater where it's just me. Literally, just me in this <laughs> big, huge, dark theater.
2: Someone could be in the row behind you. <laughs> no, and exactly. because I always
1: sit in the very back row. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, I mean, they could come through
0: the wall.
1: Exactly. I mean... But no, when I watch horror movies, what I think is I'm really glad that I'm a Christian, and I'm really glad that I can feel, like, the Holy Spirit, like, within me, and just, like, God covering me when I watch movies like that because – Admittedly, when I – especially the movies that tend to be a little more demonic and dealing with possession and things like that, all I can think is, thank God I know Jesus because otherwise this would really freak me out. I would literally be terrified – if I was a non-Christian, I would be terrified of going to see a horror movie and then leaving because I'd be thinking, oh my goodness, a demon's going to possess me at any moment. I don't think that way as a Christian because of the Holy Spirit, but – It's, it's very, it's almost like, I don't feel like a horror movie made me question my faith, but it definitely, every time I see one, I'm definitely like, yep, I'm definitely a Christian.
3: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I, I gotta admit a confession. I don't even watch the demonic horror movies. The only one I probably have seen is Exorcism, Emily Rose. I did that review and I knew it was a Biola grad Christian guy who wrote it. And they end up asking these big questions, but even that, I just man, I tell you, I, I don't even, I don't, I don't even want to mess with that stuff. It's like yeah, uh, I, I, want to, that's, that's I want right. to be aware, but for me, that's just that's one of those. I, I'm, I'm happy to watch somebody running from a lion or swimming from a shark or <laughs> uh, you know those kind of things. And uh, um, I actually, and, and I might be hypocritical because I'm actually very intrigued by murder mysteries. So I'll watch something about a serial killer or something. That's that's definitely an evil out there, but. I just don't I don't I just don't like messing with the devil stuff too much at all. Well, and I think that's a that's a great segue just as a
0: reminder that um we've been talking about some of the the positive or potentially redemptive or spiritual elements in these movies, but this genre is still oftentimes exactly what you think it is, which is violent stories. It is stories of blood and guts and death and spiritual weirdness. So Uh, I think it's important for us to say this is still a genre that needs to be approached with a great deal of caution. And in the midst of that, every now and then a movie will pop up that I think has something significant to say with regard to these spiritual, uh, really spiritual themes that do come out. And I want to ask just one more question as we bring our conversation into a close today. So if you're a parent and you have a teen who sort of has developed a fascination with this genre, because that happens. What would you say to a parent who is concerned that they have a a teen or even a tween that's showing a a significant interest in horror movies? How do we walk through that as parents?
2: You know, I think that, that the first thing you do is you ask a lot of questions. Okay. I think that you... You talk with your teens about why they enjoy this. What appeals to them about this movie? Because just the process of asking the questions will make your teen think more deeply about what they're watching. Why do I like this? Is it for good reasons or is it for bad reasons? We know that some people really like gory horror movies because they're gory and that can be a big problem. Um, So I think that the first step is to really ask questions and then if you're familiar with what they might be watching, it's good to ask questions about the, the actual movie that they're watching, engage in a conversation.
1: I think it's also important to know uh, this was made to scare you. This was made by writers and producers and directors and actors. Like, make sure that they're not scared, essentially. And Mm. if they are scared, talk to them about it. Like, hey, you know... It, 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 kind of like we were saying earlier, you know, with the don't go in there type deal, <laughs> like make sure they know some basic common sense, which can actually kind of equip you to not be scared. Right. Stay if you with feel, your
0: friend in the cemetery he, at night. It,
1: well, <laughs>
0: basic common sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know saying. that's not what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what I'm saying.
3: I think this is just another opportunity where we as parents, um, you know, need to realize, hey, here's an opportunity for conversation. So we need to really try to just not. Overreact, but interact with our kids about this. And and I mean I tell you, I look back at so many of my failures as a parent was when I freaked out over something and kind of like banned the whole genre of music or whatever. And I thought there's nothing good about this, and I'd go on a rant or something like that. And that yeah. just that doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Your kids don't learn anything from that. They literally will roll their eyes and dismiss you where if they, you know, like scary movies and, and you sat there and, and, and thought about it and thought, okay, well let's watch a scary movie together. And it doesn't mean go rent some inappropriate film, but maybe you meant one of these ones we mentioned here today that, that might be appropriate, you know, something like signs or jaws or whatever. And uh, watch something like that with your kid, talk with them about it. And if they, if you feel like they're starting to watch uh, stuff that's inappropriate, dialogue with them. Ask lots of questions. Like like Paul said, uh, You know, listen. Don't just lecture. Listen and find out what is it that they like about it. And, and listen and think about that a little bit and keep those doors of dialogue open. That's so important. You don't want to just dismiss them so that they walk away thinking, eh, can't talk to dad about this.
2: I also want to say that that for younger kids, obviously not a lot of parents are going to be taking their children to to horror movies. Except my dad. Please don't. Except for your dad. But (laughs) it is one of those things that we really do need to be very, very cautious of. Because children, they don't have the lines between imagination and reality that we do. Exactly. And you also have to be aware of horrific elements, if you will in non-horror bits of entertainment. I remember as a five-year-old being terrified by something I saw on the love boat. You know, it, someone- It was
3: a terrifying show. It was a terrifying-
2: yeah, <laughs> Every it, episode, it, actually, so yeah. <laughs> there are, every child has different sensitivities, and when one of those sensitivities is touched, you have to be aware when your child is bothered, if they're having nightmares, if they're having fears, it's important to to, to sort of process those as, as well as you can with them. And be cautious, be mindful of those triggers that they might find in any movie, not just horror movies.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it comes back to what we talk about It Plugged In, that our job as parents is to be engaged. And engagement means sometimes we say no and especially when they're younger there's a lot of no and as they move into their teen years and their older teen years and we give them more freedom to make some of their own decisions uh even if they don't always make decisions that we would agree with we're working as you guys said to keep the communication lines open so that there's a there's a growing conversation there as they move toward young adulthood, as opposed to just slamming the door on those conversations in a way that, that I think ultimately damages relationships. But all of that takes discernment to know when it's appropriate to say no. No, we're not gonna go there. No, I don't think you're ready for that. And okay, I'm gonna let you make your own decision, but we're gonna talk about it afterwards. Well, speaking of talking, I hope that you have enjoyed our conversation about horror movies today. There may be more going on in this genre than it might seem at the surface, but there are definitely still significant issues to be cautious about while navigating this kind of movie. And that's what we at Plugged In want to help you as a family do to navigate the storms that pop culture throws at us and our families. And sometimes we have no choice but to figure out how are we going to get through this storm? It came out of nowhere. You know, we find out our kid is has watched something or engaged with something that we didn't know about that we probably would have said no to. And you kind of got to do damage control. And other times, you know, these storms are visible on the horizon and we have plenty of opportunity as families to steer around them. Either way, Plugged In exists as a tool for your family to know what to expect in today's popular culture and to grow in your ability to deal with the deeper philosophical and worldview and spiritual issues that might be there beneath the surface. And if you'd like to go deeper still, our very own Paul Acey's book, Burning Bush 2.0, How Pop Culture Replaced the Prophet, dives into this very subject in a chapter titled, We're Going to Need a Bigger Book, which of course (laughs) is a reference to a certain Jaws quote. And today for a gift of any amount to focus on the family, we would love to send you a copy of Paul's book as our thank you for being part of the Plugged In Show family. Just follow the link on the episode page to our blog entry on this podcast, where you'll also find links to everything else we've talked about on today's show. And we want to just say again, we have updated our user experience. So each week we're going to be publishing a blog post that sort of gives you a thumbnail sketch of the episode, as well as capturing all of those links that might help you go deeper with the topics that we talk about each week. Well, on behalf of our esteemed plugged in team, I want to say thanks so much for listening today. And we look forward to connecting with you again next week for another episode of The Plugged In Show.